Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 199 is listener and guest from the community, James Hart, all the way from Melbourne. Welcome, James. Cheers, Leon. Three will be on. I say all the way from Melbourne as if everyone's where I am, which is nonsense. This podcast goes out around the world and clearly we have listeners in Australia, hence you contacting us. But... Uh, it's nice to speak to somebody from uh, the other side of the world, the Antipodes to us. Do you know, I always used to think that the Antipodes specifically referred to Australia, but it doesn't. It's the Antipodes is the opposite of wherever you are on the world. So the Antipodes oh. to, to America is China. Oh, there you so go. That, that blew my mind. That was one of those things that I learned at the age of about 45 or something. And I was like, what? The ho- my whole life. Because they always used to introduce, and apologies for this reference, they always used to introduce neighbours on BBC One, in, on a, uh, which was on every weekday afternoon. I'm not sure if it still is. Uh, as, you know, and now for some, you know, adventures with our Antipodean cousins down in, you know, it was all that kind of thing. So I was used to assume that Antipodean meant Australian, but no. I uh, I found out that it was also South African, New Zealanders, you know, that's, um, yeah, because I lived over there for six years as well. So I, um, uh-huh. yeah, I got a lot of uh, exposure to sort of what we were called, like on the other side of the world. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Uh, so, uh, well, how's Melbourne? What time is it there? It's midday here in the UK. 
Yes, it's just uh, come at nine o'clock at night. I've just had my um, my dinner and sort of settling in, sort of preparing for the work week. But yeah, we've just uh, yeah just had a sort of big our big federal election on the weekend and sort of oh yeah, just coming to terms with that and uh, yeah, just sort of having a beer now, just wanting to talk about game music basically. Okay, and that, the results are in now because it was I gather it was a close thing. It was, yeah. It's, um, yeah. It sort of, it was a bit of a shock. Um, people are calling it mm. similar to the Brexit and the uh, the Trump election. I don't think oh. it's that. I don't think it's that bad. But like, it's uh, that's what people are saying. Yeah. At least it was a bit of a shock, but it's okay. Mm. Okay. Well, let's talk games music in that case. So uh, we open the show with uh, with Chrono Trigger, for, uh, the Undersea Palace. Mm. Uh, so obviously, I don't know you too well myself, James. So uh, is this representative of your personal gaming history? Was the Super Nintendo an early machine in your collection? Or, I mean, I don't even know how old you are. So uh, what are your memories of Chrono Trigger and the Super Nintendo? No, very much so. Like, it's a very special game for me. Um, I actually, obviously, because it didn't really get released down here. So my first exposure to it was uh, on a ROM. So right. I had to um, experience it that way. But yeah, it arrived at a key moment really in um, high school actually I was about 17 when my best mate showed this to me and uh, yeah I actually credit it in some ways in changing me you know I think I was at a key point and I could have gone one or two ways and I think Chrono Trigger came at just the right time and helped me shape me into the man I am today really so I um, yeah it holds a special place for me for sure. Do you replay it now and again or is it is it all locked away as part of your your youth or childhood i probably haven't played it for about three or four years but um i have played it on the ds recently which uh yeah oh, is, great version. is always a treat yeah absolutely if only they um yeah. synced the uh the those anime cutscenes because like i always thought that they show the uh what happens in the in, with the sprites and then they show the exact same cutscene straight after yes rather than just cutting it off before that sprite uh animation you know mm, that that was my that was my only gripe with it but yeah, it's it's yeah. probably it's probably in my top three, um, but it's hard to nail down as number one. Of course, if you've got a, a say a SNES Mini, as I have a, a SNES Classic, you can add that ROM on there, the US NTSC version. I have heard that, yeah, because I just I do own one, and I just finished Final Fantasy uh, three, well six, um, for the first time, yep. and uh, oh great, I need to know how to do that. So yeah, I think that's going to be um, the first one I put on there for sure. Well worth doing and surprisingly straightforward, I would say. Uh, so yeah. Definitely do that. Uh, so, Undersea Palace, uh, Yasunori Mitsuda's music. We open the show with today. Is that just uh, just one of your favourite pieces from the game, or is it particularly uh, you know one that uh, conjures uh, is evocative for you? Yeah, I could have picked like three or four dozen from that OST, yeah. but you know, I just it, it's that one. I've always just found like it just had an amazing gravitas to it, and like it's so skillfully done by Mitsuda that like I sometimes forget that it's even coming out of sixteen bit hardware. I think it's that skillfully right. done. And um, yeah, it's just, I think, you know, those amazing high pitch notes at the start really set the tone of this chaos. And then there's what would be the flute solo, I guess, is like just softens, yeah. softens all that chaos. And um, yeah, it's a very stirring track. So it was a, um, in the end, it was a pretty easy one for my first pick for sure. Too right. They um one of the things I think they really did get right with the, that DS version is that they managed to uh, emulate the sound of the Super Nintendo pretty well. Now, ideally, you don't want to be playing the game with the sound coming through the speakers. You want a nice pair of headphones on. I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, well, these days it's it's played in the car for me, which is great. Um, but yeah, I um, yes. I would love to like yeah. When it came out of the telly, it wasn't um, as good as the DS headphones. So yeah, it re it really mm. sounds great coming out of there. As always, we'll be featuring some community picks in between James's selections, and we're going to start with another Super Nintendo piece. We've got a little theme running through the start of the show here, and this is from a game we're going to be covering later in the year. Which reminds me, I forgot to say we did cover Kane. Uh, on Kane and Rince podcast, we did uh, cover Chrono Trigger some time back in issue 166. Listeners, if you want to check that out, we were quite enthusiastic about that game. And uh, we have plans to cover the Donkey Kong Country trilogy, the original three Super Nintendo games, later this year in issue 389 of that podcast. This request is actually the end credits from the first game, uh, requested by Simon Sloth, who says, I just finished Donkey Kong Country and was very impressed with the soundtrack. The reward for making it through the final boss by the skin of my teeth was the song that plays over the ending credits. Impressive stuff and just about worth the slog through the last levels. Just about. So this is the credits concerto.
from Donkey Kong Country. David Wise, Eveline Fisher, and Robin and or Robin Beanland. I guess it's a kind of medley, so it probably does. Uh, is it? I'm not really sure it is a medley. Actually, it's kind of a self-contained short piece. Anyway, you just mm. heard it. Another Super Nintendo piece uh, from '94. So we've had one from '95, one from '94, and the next selection from I guess James is from a Super Nintendo game of 1993. One I have never played. Oh. Uh, one of Rare's Battletoads efforts. Uh, was Battletoads in Battle Maniacs as punishingly, foolishly difficult as the other games in the series? Uh, I think I read somewhere that it actually got to a point where some people couldn't finish it because of a, uh, a bug. I certainly couldn't finish it. After, <laughs> um, and I could be wrong on that, but it, it was insanely difficult and I don't think I finished it, but the music stayed with me. I was actually quite stoked to see um, that listener request um, that from David Wise because I'm a huge David Wise fan and yeah. I was definitely going to... Um, feature him on one of uh, my selections but I didn't want to really step on um, right I remember Ryan did a great Donkey Kong Country special for Sound of Play early in the early days and um, yeah I didn't want to necessarily just select um, yeah something from that so I went with another uh, David Wise rare track Um, it's called uh, yeah Ragnarok Canyon and it's it's, yeah it's it's great because like you know I think David Wise is just so revolutionary in so many ways because he takes crazy absurd situations and he just with his music he just adds some kind of like importance to them like you know a monkey a monkey losing his bananas (laughs) going on a quest it doesn't really like warrant such emotion to that story but then he brings out tracks (laughs) like he doesn't. He brings out tracks like "Life in the Mines" and, of course, "Aquatic Ambience," and suddenly you're yeah. super, super invested in, and you're really emotionally invested in, yeah, these, so in these monkeys. So, like, mm. and Ragnarok Canyon, we'll hear. You know, like it's, um, you know, it's still like it's still a rocky, fun track. Um, you know, but there's parts of it like lulls in this that you'll hear. That's just again, it just makes these makes it important that these buffed up toads that have names that are skin ailments you know they're bashing their way through this canyon and it doesn't doesn't seem like it should be important but he adds that credibility to the game i think and really hats off to him i really wish i um had uh had found him in a pub over there and i could have caught him or bought him a pint but it would have been um would have been great but yeah not to worry
that was Ragnarok Canyon from Battletoads in Battle Maniacs. Perhaps uh, not the best known game, but uh, that's in some ways, that's where we get some of our best audio treats from on Sound of Player games that perhaps, I mean, I'm sure it sold perfectly well, but uh, perhaps it isn't as, you know, it's not much of as much of a household name as Donkey Kong Country, say, or, or, mm. or even Chrono Trigger, but uh, we get to hear these pieces. In fact, uh, Darren Gargett did a special Sound of Play uh, in the prime numbered edition of 137 where he took us on a whistle stop tour of the rare replay music's uh, 42 tracks from all the great uh, rare games going all the way back to bits of uh, the spectrum stuff jetpack and lunar jetman and attic attack and night law and through the uh, the 8 and 16 bit eras and up to the n64 and then even as recent as sea of thieves uh, that was when he was in the build-up to that game and getting very excited. So Yeah, I have seen uh, him yeah. on Twitter getting really excited about that game. So uh, He loves his Sea of Thieves. Yeah. Yeah. We also have a, a weekly, it probably wouldn't work out time-wise for you, but listeners, we have uh, the HMS Cana Rinse sailing uh, on the seas of the Sea of Thieves on Thursday nights on first Twitch, and then it goes to YouTube. So check that one out as well. Nice. Next selection is from another 16-bit game from the mid-90s. And this is a request from Ryan Scully. This is unusual in that it's uh, it's uh, an interpretation of a, quote, real song. Ryan Scully requested it on Facebook. That's also unusual. Don't forget we have a Facebook page. He says, can I take this opportunity to request the scrappy, yet no less delightful, Genesis cover of Randy Newman's Strange Things? So this was an interpretation of the Toy Story song that I'm sure most people are familiar with. It's been almost a quarter of a century now since the original Toy Story, mind-bogglingly enough. And Randy Newman, of course, composed those songs. And this was interpreted by uh, British uh, artist Alistair Brimble, who we've heard from many times on this, uh, perhaps best known for his work with Team 17 and things like that. Um, was uh, Were Team 17 a big deal down in Oz? It's the first time I've heard of them, so they may well have been. But okay, yeah, it's not something that I've heard of personally. No. What was the so right uh, in Australia? You shared with us the the same heartache that was the phased alternate line television television system, which was both a blessing and a curse because it was a superior television system mm-hmm. in many ways. It had more lines, stronger colours than the American NTSC system, mm-hmm. but it meant that. Both the UK and Australia were always lumbered with these slower 50 hertz rather than 60 hertz games, often with big black borders top and bottom on the screen. So you you remember that pain. Mm. Um, In terms of the scene in the uh, 80s and 90s, so famously the difference between the UK and Europe and the US was that in the UK and Europe, we were massive on the three 8-bit computers, the Spectrum, Commodore 64 and the Amstrad, and then we segued into the ST and Amiga. In America, it was all about the Nintendo Entertainment System. What was the scene in Australia in the 80s and 90s? Well, I can speak for my family. Like, we, we were down in uh, Tasmania, so, uh, you know, and maybe mm. our exposure to, you know, computer hardware wasn't as... Um, yeah, <laughs> on that as, island. <laughs> yeah, as, as big as on the mainland. But basically, um, yeah. Yeah, well, my brother had a Commodore 64 growing up quite early. And then right. I was just exposed yeah. to the the early console generation. My cousins had the Master System. I We got it. We had an NES and then an SNES. Um, yeah, and then, um, yeah, like I was just surrounded with console gaming. The scene itself, like, uh, you know, I was only really starting to grow i was 10 and 96 you know i'm I'm 32 today so my like that really early hardware is um yeah i guess for my brother's generation which uh yeah his exposure to it was a commodore 64 but yeah we um we were just mainly like at least in our family and people that we knew it was just purely yeah the console generation of uh and mainly super nintendo was what around me was what you know blew up and you know everyone had one of those yes yeah and then on to playstation and so on and so forth when you say 32 today do you mean you're just 32 today or it's Uh, your birthday no it's not my birthday no sorry yeah that's (laughs) yeah in the context of i was 10 in 96 and i'm 32 today (laughs) (laughs) i didn't want to miss it that's no 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 Uh, i would have let you know but happy birthday for your last and next birthdays thank Uh, you very much (laughs) in celebration we'll listen to this uh, mega drive interpretation of uh, the yeah the lovely song from the original toy story strange things mm-hmm. 
That was Randy Newman's Strange Things, as interpreted by Alistair Brimble for the Mega Drive console, or Genesis if you're in America. Uh, thank you for that request, Ryan. Now we have a guest today, James, joining me from Australia and uh, picking some of his favourite tunes from the history of the video games medium. And what often happens is when we have somebody on this show and we ask them to bring their favourite tracks, something comes from Nobuo Uematsu. And uh, mm. James is no different. And why not? So you've picked a tune that we've never featured before. Yes, no, I made sure of that at least um, because I knew nice. no- Nobu and uh, Final Fantasy VII were, you know, I, I won't say cliche, but, you know, they're, they're not uncommon. Well so, represented. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So, you know, Final Fantasy VII, another huge game for me. Um, replaying it through at the moment on the Switch, which I'm loving. and um, Lovely. And, uh, yeah, anticipating the remake so much, I might even have to fork out for a, uh, for a PS4. Um, so, yeah, that should be... Uh, that should be exciting. I mean, this track, I recently discussed it with a good friend of mine who um, we both listen to Sound of Play and, uh, and Kane and Rince, of course. And um, yeah, we, um, we both agree that this was one of the best tracks on the OST. Um, we've both been a lot, uh, been a lot to uh, like Distant Worlds concerts, you know, the, um, the, the, yeah. where um, they go out and play, you know, live Final Fantasy music across the world. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, we, uh, we've noticed a lot of these classic tracks um, don't get so much of a play. They have a catalogue, a limited catalogue, and right. I can understand why, you know, that you've got to please the fans and that, you know, the orchestras can only perform and learn a certain amount of yeah. tracks, but they, they do miss um, some of these uh, tracks. And we actually created our own little, YouTube playlist of B-side tracks that should be featured in a distant worlds. Um, cool. And we ex- we exchanged that with like a few linear notes of why we like that. So yeah, and this was going to be on both of ours, but I got in first. Uh, so yeah, it's called um, "Hold My Thought," "Hold My Thoughts in My Heart," and yeah, it's just you know, Final Fantasy VII is very, you know, it can be quite serious and dark at times, but this is a very kind of. Uh, you know, uplifting and unique track, I think. And it features the motif from the main overworld theme, which is always a nice touch. So, um, yeah, mm. I'd love it to see live as well. I think it's just, uh, just a great example of Nobu's work. Hold My Thoughts in My Heart by Uematsu, of course, from Final Fantasy VII. We covered that game in our Final Fantasy series of podcasts. That was issue 350, right at the end of last year. A uh, a season closer, if you will. And we're now currently steamrolling towards recording our Final Fantasy X podcast. And as always with this entire series, 
I am way behind on my <laughs> my keeping up with uh, doing. Who knew recording a show about a game, uh, a Final Fantasy game, every two months that you have to have completed is quite hard work. Uh, and I haven't managed to keep up in every case. But uh, Leah and Josh have, uh, and we've had various uh, sporadic uh, contributions from other members of the team, other guests. Uh, so yes, Final Fantasy X coming soon. Mm. Yeah, can't wait. Mm. Is that uh, are you a fan of Ten? Is that I know it's quite. A, a, some people love it. Some people hate it. Oh, I look Always like, the way. I do love it. I, I it's one of those ones cool. that you know. I'm not a huge fan of, uh, and I've looked on the forum already. A lot of people are you know commenting on um, Titus's or Titus's. Uh, voice yeah. acting, which is uh, yeah. always, you know, not the greatest. Uh, well, it's a bit of a mm-hmm. polarizing thing, but um, certainly is. No, I love it. I love this. The sphere grid's great. Yeah, yeah, and just uh, mm. the, the score. Even though you know, Nobu didn't have like he wasn't hundred um, percent like yeah. responsible for it. I I just love the whole game in general, and I'm going to get that on the Switch as well. So yeah, keen to hear the yeah. podcast. Okay, next up we have uh, another request. Now, this is uh, from a game that I've never played pretty much. Uh, I There was a gap for me in the Mortal Kombat series between the final one of the original sort of 2D sequence with Ultimate MK3 and, and MK Trilogy. I didn't play another one until Mortal Kombat 9, which was the, the reboot in 2011, I think that was now. Um and I haven't yet played Eleven, the new one, which does look quite good. I, I must admit, this is from one of the uh, the sort of early to mid era three D installments in the series, which I think they were generally moderately received. Without, uh, I don't think they were ever truly horrific, but I, I never had the same attraction towards them when there there seemed to be so many other more, um, you know, cool fighting games out there to play, but. Do you have any memories of Mortal Kombat Deception or any of the, that era of MK game, James? Only playing it at the pizza pub in Launceston on the arcade, really. I um, I never oh, right. have uh, played a lot of, um, yeah, like combat games. I, I, Killer Instinct I played for a while and I love the theme and player select theme for that. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, it, I was more, you know... I was more your kind of real time strategy, and you and your platformers at at that part RPGs. Yeah, well, at least at that point in life later, right. and then Chrono Trigger spawned the RPG sort of revolution uh, for me. Yeah, yeah. So right. uh, yeah, no, uh, no Mortal Kombat, unfortunately. Just uh, putting a few coins in the pizza pub in Lonnie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is a request from Mister Green Tos. Terms of service, I have no idea. Uh, nothing to say about this other than uh, Mr. Green wanted us to play it. So this is Beetle Lair and Nethership Interior, or One Piece, from Mortal Kombat Deception.
2004's Mortal Kombat Deception. That, in case you don't remember, was on uh, the generation of consoles, PS2, GameCube and Xbox. There was also a PSP conversion which had a slightly different name that I can't remember off the top of my head. But the uh, the composers for that game were Chase Ashbaker, Rich Carl and or Brian Chard. Uh, three artists I don't think I've ever featured before. So there you go. Deep right. cuts. Now I'm joined by uh, my guest, listener James, uh, James Hart. We have already heard from the Super Nintendo, uh, a couple of pieces in the PS1. Now we bring things up to date somewhat, although this game is now nearly 10 years old because time marches ever on. Crazy. Goodness me. Yeah. Uh, so this was uh, Limbo, the first game from Play Dead. Uh, we're covering uh, Inside on the podcast relatively soon. We covered this game back on Kane Rince issue 24. Very, very early days when the game was still relatively new. Uh, so most of the music in this game, uh, I suppose, would come under the sort of umbrella of dark and ambient. Um, exactly. Does this piece stood out to you? Yeah, look, yeah, I definitely wanted to get at least one ambient track in there because I've been listening to a lot of that kind of stuff in the last few years. and. I used to get um, quite frustrated, you know, when I used to search for um, through old TV and mu- movie and gaming soundtracks looking for the ambient tracks that I heard because you often wouldn't right. find them on like... Yeah, it, sure. And like whilst they're beautiful tracks, they wouldn't sort of get the credibility next to a full orchestral number and they wouldn't get released on a, um, you know, on an OST mm. when it came out. So my mate and I often, yeah, tear our hair out with some tracks being missing off main OSTs and... So discovering games that were purely ambient tracks were was great and like Limbo and Inside, you know, they're masterclasses at ambient music and I think I've tweeted that at Martin Stig Anderson a few times just to let him know because he's um, he is a genius cool. at this kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, this track, um, a lot of people recognise, I think, you know, people who know the game, um, especially by its name, Sister, uh, you know, it comes at, at quite an emotionally climactic moment in the game and, you know, what what is a quite a moving story or whatever you want to interpret the story to be. And um, yeah, the high tones and stuff are beautiful, but it's that slow and ominous rumble that you hear throughout um, mm-hmm. at the track. It really builds. And, and the whole game, really. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That, and yeah. like you hear this track and it's like isolated and you, you are just taken right back to that game. And um, it's slow, so impactful and foreboding and it's just such a dark and beautiful track. I love it. So yeah, I was going to either feature this one or um, a, a game from the first Fallout but I realised that um, Ryan had already, um, uh, I put that down as a request on the forum and he already played it. So uh-huh. I, I, um, that's all good. So this one is probably, yeah, one of my most favourite ambient tracks of all time. So yeah, I hope others like it too.
That was Martin Stig Anderson's sister from Limbo, the 2010 game. You can play it on almost anything. And as I say, if you want to listen to us talking about it when it was relatively new, Kane and Rinse podcast issue 24. I'm not sure my voice had even broken at that point. I'm kidding. I was like 39 or 40. Uh, so here we go. Track eight is uh, something a bit different. It's uh, whereas uh, our previous requester left us nothing. Here we've got a few paragraphs from Mr. Ixalite. And this is uh, this track is actually not specifically from a game. It's a, a, a piece about video games or very specifically a boss in a specific video game. So Mr. Ixalite says Airman is a tough boss. His tornadoes fill up the entire screen, block your shots and his stage is full of pitfalls. He's easier to beat with Woodman's weapon, but Woodman is no pushover either. Woodman is weak to Heatman's weapon, but Heatman's stage has an infuriating disappearing block section, which can easily be crossed with a support item, which you get from beating Airman. This conundrum is the subject of the gloriously mimetic rock number Can't Beat Airman, which is a treat for any Mega Man fan. I personally have managed to beat Airman, although I've never figured out how to dodge his damn tornadoes, but my fanboyism is not the reason I love this song. When I discovered it, I was studying abroad in Canada and experiencing what would turn out to be one of the most important periods in my life. I was undergoing tremendous personal growth and one of the ways that this manifested was when I took up karate on a lark. I don't know exactly how it happened, but somehow this silly little song, Can't Be Airman, became inseparably tied to this as I would listen to it every single time I walked home from training, gradually picking out Mega Man terminology from the rapid-fire Japanese. And even though it never failed to pump me up, I never listened to it before training. It was a reward, my personal victory march. Ten years and one black belt later, I will still listen to this on my way home from time to time. The song cheers me up and makes me feel like I can achieve anything, despite its actual subject matter. I was torn on whether this was a proper suggestion for the show, as it is technically more music about video games than video game music, but to my joy, I found that the track had been incorporated into an official Japan-exclusive mobile game that nobody seems to actually like. Loophole! I would therefore very much like to request I Can't Be Airman by Team Canned Cat Food from the Rockman crossover soundtrack, specifically the standalone single version. It's my secret dream to one day do a flawless karaoke version of this song. So I don't even know the name of the mobile game that he's referring to, but it doesn't matter. We'd have played it anyway. This is Airman Gatao Senai by Seramikuritan or something along those lines. Apologies, but enjoy. I'm not going 
2007 can't beat airman which is yeah a song about beating airman or failing to we covered mega man one and two mega mans rock mans one and two in cana rinse podcast issue 296 so james uh mega man uh started uh sort of turned into the x series on super nintendo uh, was that was that your kind of thing? You said platformers earlier. Did you did you play any of those games? No, unfortunately not. No, when I yeah, when I think back to platformers, it was the uh, you know the Donkey Kong Country series, which I'm keen to hear you guys talk about soon. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, the main track uh, games for me on there were you know Pilot Wings, which I was quite keen to um, hear you guys talk about very recently, actually. And um, uh, yeah, your, your Mario Kart, Super International Cricket. I don't know if. You got that over, yes. there, over there, yeah. Which oh um, yeah, I was very close to putting um the the uh the game music when you the the music that plays oh, nice. when you're playing. I was very close to that, but I thought it was just too mundane and um and uh, <laughs> probably wrote, not. Who who put that? Who, who wrote that one? Can you do you know? No, not off the top of my head. I guess I could look. Oh, uh, not, yeah, not to no. worry. Yeah, it's um ah uh, yeah. So those yeah, I probably didn't have like the greatest catalogue when I was that young, because, you know, we every every game was a treat, basically. So, no, ne- oh, Mega Man, yeah. unfortunately, wasn't um, yeah, one that I had. For sure. Uh, yeah, so, well, you mentioned cricket there. I am not a cricket guy, um, but uh, so is that is that uh, Australian, the the obsession with cricket, is that is that, that's there for you? Yeah, well, you, we used to um, be quite dominant, and um, we had a great rivalry with you that's guys. That's correct. Um, <laughs> Uh, not so much, not so much these days, especially when we no, it's cheat. all gone weird. Especially when we cheat, which is you know we a bit get embarrassing. What, that yeah, we go, we'll get what you know what we deserve when we cheat. So, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it was one of those games because it's never going to be um, you know sold to the Americans or anything. So you wonder like, oh, it's great no. that it actually got you know made in the first place. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, it was very like you know, but it could be played very well with two people, and like you could have genuine games like me and my mate. You know, lives he lives a few blocks away from me. Every you know, three or four months, we'll still fire up this nest and, and have a game of that. So um, yeah, nice. it's a um, yeah a special game for me that one. Yeah, my friend uh, Neil, who uh, who I used to play a lot of games with, we used to play uh, Emlyn Hughes International Soccer and PGA Tour Golf, and then uh, Kick Off Two and Sensible Soccer. But he's a massive cricket fan, and actually, I saw him yesterday, and he said uh, he reminded me that the Cricket World Cup is is coming up, and England apparently are actually. Uh, hot favourites for that one now, which uh, which is surprising because as a as a somebody who follows sport and so I get alerts on my Sky Sports app telling me what's going on in cricket, even though I I don't understand it. It seems to be that England at cricket we're either the best in the world or completely hopeless. There's no in between as far as I can work out. Yeah, it's very strange. I think you guys, yeah, you're quite good at the one day game from from memory. I mean, yeah, look, I used to love cricket growing up, but these days it's um. It's the Aussie rules football that we have here or uh, football, you know, because, yeah. Uh, yeah, I lived over there for a bit. So obviously got 
quite into football over there. So um, yeah, it's I've, have a team in English. I do. do you have an yes, English football team? I do. Uh, Harry Kuehl. Uh, my first game that I ever watched was the uh-huh. two thousand and five Champions League final. So I think most people remember that one where. Liverpool came from three 0 yep. down and half time, mm. and Harry Kuehl was playing that. So because he he was Australian, you know, we got to watch that a bit. Yes. And then um, my girlfriend follows Liverpool as well. We met over that, so and we bonded, and yeah, so uh, oh, nice. that was um, that's good. So yeah, excited for um, a few weeks' time. Champions League final. Champions League yes. final. Yeah, <laughs> that should be good. We have to get up at um, have to get to a pub at nine o'clock at right. night, and then the game starts at five a.m. So we've got. Eight hours, wow. eight hours of waiting and drinking before the, well, that, before the game even starts. That's going to go well. Yeah. Yeah, Harry Kuehl, uh actually was working just up the road from here for a while because he was uh, managing Crawley Town, which is um, oh, yeah, like 20, 20 miles north of where I live, basically. I uh, don't think it went that well for him. But right. um, one th- main thing I remember about Harry Kuehl is when he was playing for Liverpool, at one stage he got gout, which is normally associated with Overeating and overdrinking, but rich, um, rich kings. He was just under rich kings, and you know people who yeah, like exactly. Yeah, yeah. which uh, yeah, that's an uh, Australian footballer. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Congrats on a bright, yeah. bright and staying up. By the way. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> yes, just about yeah. by the skin of our teeth. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, and in terms of cricket video games, so I played a few because I've always had friends who love cricket. Um, so I played. Uh, there was an eight-bit one I can't even remember. There's just called Test Match Cricket, I think, or something like that. Maybe, maybe Ian Botham's Test Match Cricket. Uh, there was a Graham Gooch game on the Amiga, and after that, uh, Super Nintendo one. Uh, there was Brian Lara's Cricket on the PS One, which my friends were obsessed yeah. with. Did you have that one? Oh, I, I had uh, friends from primary school that were equally obsessed with that one. I thought it was on the Mega Drive, and maybe there was an earlier version that, it did. that got ported yeah. to the um, that got ported to the PS One as well. You're right. Yeah, it was Mega Drive first and then then PS1. And I think it was actually a sort of um, a descendant of the uh, the world-class cricket games that, that were on the on the computers, like 16-bit and stuff like that. Yeah, so. right, okay. Yeah, it was, um, I don't know, Super International Cricket was just basic enough that you could feel like you could have control. I thought those other ones got way too technical. But that, like, I mean, maybe it's just the nostalgia talking, but I certainly... It's actually a really hard game to simulate on a video game. I think so. Cricket. I, I, I mean, I, agree. I played various baseball games, which, which worked pretty well, actually. Funnily enough, do you know what really I think would have worked amazingly well is a Wii Sports cricket game with Wii Motion Plus. Very true. Where you could pretty much map the bat one-to-one and you could bowl as if you were bowling that would have actually that could have actually worked pretty well. The Americans but and the Japanese cricket, just wouldn't know what the hell you were doing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but and the subcontinents, you know, in India well, yeah. and, and Australia and, and in 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 England and and I mean, I think yeah, cricket has a certain amount of popularity in uh, in Scotland and Ireland now as well, but yeah, it's um it's those three markets in particular, isn't it? And obviously the uh, the West Indies and stuff, yeah. which is a bit niche. Mm. So yeah. Anyway, that was an interesting tangent into cricket chat, but, uh, but there you go, Sound of Play listeners, you never know what you're going to get. However, please do remember to venture over to the forum at canarince.com slash forum or follow us on Twitter. We'll follow us anyway on Twitter at canarince. You can use the hashtag Sound of Play and we'll hopefully pick that up. Or as we heard earlier from Ryan, you can even tap us up on the Facebook page. Uh, and make your request there. Request your favourites, other deep cuts, uh, emotional stories are welcome or funny stories, whatever you want to go with your requests. And we'll continue to include a selection uh, in the playlist for our regular Sound of Play shows. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Leave us an Apple Podcasts or iTunes review or rating or whatever other podcast capturing doobries you use. Uh, listen to our other podcasts. We've mentioned Kane and Rince. You should subscribe to that as well as Playwright, which comes out on Thursdays and The Sausage Factory, which comes out on Fridays. As I say, follow us on social media. We also have an Instagram. And if you've enjoyed this show and you enjoy all the content that we produce, you can support us. Even just one dollar a month unlocks all the perks. But we encourage you to consider donating more than a dollar a month. It's only about 80p or uh, 0.9 euros patreon.com slash get an exclusive monthly show you get cana rinse podcasts a week earlier and often extended and we can't say fairer than that really so uh we got one more selection from james james thank you very much for joining me it's been a thrill and thanks very much and uh yeah thanks for reaching out as they say and uh basically saying yeah i'd like to talk video games music and here you are so that's how that's how that's how it's done uh, thank you also to our community contributors, 
keep them coming. Uh, James, you've got anything you want to any social media or anything that you produce that you want to plug? I don't know. Uh, I mean, not so big on social media, but if anyone wants to sort of come on uh, the Master Chief Collection on Xbox Live and add a few games, I'm uh, my, uh-huh. my gamer tag is Nobu Yagami, and uh, yeah, I just get on there every now and then and just um, have a bit of a retro Halo Three game. So people are welcome to do that if they'd like. Nice. So we've got Halo Reach coming to the Master Chief Collection very soon. Yeah, which I'm quite excited about because uh, in the end, I think that turned out to be my favourite, my favourite Halo, certainly up there. There you go. Uh, um, so it'd be nice to see it all redone in 4K and whatever else mm. uh, in that uh, in that now very lovely collection that was uh, troubled when it first arrived, but um, they've spent a lot of years fixing it up. Yeah, I, I luckily <laughs> missed uh, all the troubles and got my Xbox One Did quite you? late, yeah, because I um right. yeah, I was still living over there with you guys and um yeah, I uh-huh. yeah, I didn't have the, the the funds available. So luckily I got there and all that had passed. Yes. So it's a very nice uh, very nice functional and attractive piece of software now. And uh, of course, one of the treats that it contains is Halo 2, which was such a huge deal when it arrived in 2004. Um biggest entertainment product launch of all time i think it was or was that halo 3 anyway it was massive mm. um and again another popular uh, sort of canon of work to be uh, picked for sound of play is the stuff of martin o'donnell and michael salvatore mm. and once again you've gone out of your way to pick a piece that we haven't uh, played before on sound of play so what is it about peril that you like so much yeah well it's a long love Long loved classic for me. This one, like, yeah, a huge fan of Marty and uh, Michael's work on the whole Halo series. You know, I just think those two, um, I guess Marty more specifically, can take so much credit for taking that series and just, you know, what could have been just a really solid shooter and making it kind of truly iconic. I think everyone knows Halo, and I think the music is a huge part of that. And I think I remember watching a Halo Two documentary and seeing the project lead Jason Jones actually say that Marty was the only team member capable of making the work that everyone else does twice as good with his music. And I, right. and I think that's yeah. like, you know, a good statement on game music in general, actually. So I really like that. Completely agree. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I picked this one last, actually, because it's one of my all-time favourites, and it's but it's a little bit difficult to me to describe why I like it so much. And I didn't want you to think, like, why have we invited this guy on? And he doesn't even know how to describe why he likes a, a track. So, like, but I, um, I think it's just because it's so unique. You know, there's, there's so many tracks in the Halo catalogue and Marty and Michael, they tend to like um, reference some motifs from earlier games in, in current yeah. tracks. So like, you know, Wake Me When You Need Me has a bit of Dust and Echoes from the first game and, you know, Black Tower will have a bit of the high charity suite and all that kind of stuff. But Peril is unique and you never hear it in any other track in any other game. And uh-huh. so um, I think that's, and it's just so strangely uplifting, you know, it comes at a time where you're landing on Delta Halo, you know, you're thrown into this battle and then there's kind of, nice unobtrusive track start playing and it's it stands in such contrast to the battle that you're fighting and yeah i just liked how marty didn't always have to go to the to the choir or to the you know large <laughs> large heavy tracks for battle songs and i think peril's the best example of that so yeah one of my favorites this one well you've done an absolutely superb job of describing that song <laughs> okay. well that's good that's tell good. us why you liked it <laughs> uh so yeah thanks again james no worries. thanks been a pleasure cheers yeah it was great being on Great way to close the show. Uh, we covered Halo 2, by the way, in Kane and Rinse podcast. Issue 181 listeners. So if this upcoming piece evokes uh, happy memories, listen to that one. And we'll see you next time for a very special Sound of Play 200. Until then, here's Peril from Halo 2. Thank you.